Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and thank you for joining me. This is Out to Lunch, the place where famous people learn to talk with their mouths full. I choose the food, we eat and we chat. My guest today has spent the last few years being scared of aliens, dinosaurs and friendly giants. When he's not acting in front of a green screen on Jurassic Park, Men in Black or the BFG, he's wowing theatre audiences. He's worked with Spielberg, Tarantino and Edgar Wright and is now the star of Apple TV's Trying. It's the brilliant actor Rafe Spall. I was playing the lead part and Sophie Okonedo was in it too. We did the read through, I stumbled through it. And then afterwards the director came and said, well, that didn't go well, did it? He said, what's the problem? I said, I fucking told you, I can't do this. <laughs> and he said, it's probably best you leave, isn't it? And I said, really? He said, yeah, I think it is. I said, but my bag's still in the other room with all the guys, I've got to go and get it. to say Rafe you have a proper cocktail cabinet I'm really I'm really impressed by your cocktail cabinet it's had a lot of use over the last 18 months let's put it that way has it have you been spanking the cocktail cabinet absolutely (laughs) mullering I think is a technical phrase listen thank you so much for agreeing to do this I hope the um we'll get onto the food in a minute I decided before watching you eat it might be fun to watch you get eaten Mm. so I uh watched um Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom have you seen it yet? Because you once said you hadn't. No, you still not, not, seen it? not in its entirety. No, I've not. I've not seen it all the way through. <laughs> the first time that my son saw it, my seven-year-old boy, no one had told him that I get eaten by a T-Rex. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert! Come on, Ray plays the baddie. Yeah. There are T-Rexes. Right. He's going to get eaten at the end. Okay, exactly. And uh, he burst into tears. And then oh. when he got back, he asked me how I escaped from the from the animal's stomach. And I said, no, darling, it's a, it's a film. It's it's not really, you went, yeah, yeah, but how did you escape? <laughs> what, did, what, did, what did you do? Was it a sword? Uh, yes, yes, it was, yes, a, yes, it was, it was a sword a that I cut myself out of, yeah. Uh, well, I think you can just take that as a testament to your acting. There was a moment in there, uh, in that film, in which you uh, play opposite um, another great British villain, Toby mm. Jones. And the two of you are doing impeccable American accents against each other. And I ever, often, when I watch something like that, I think to myself, do you ever worry what every other American actor is thinking when these two British bastards turn up and take their jobs? Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. It's odd. And also, we were filming it in Pinewood, these two Englishmen doing these slightly ropey American accents. 
<laughs> in these huge sets. I don't I mean, it was, it's weird. And to be honest, Jay, I, I mean, I, I've found myself doing American accents quite a lot recently and I find it a dreadful pain in the ass. It's, it's actually, I did a film called Just Mercy where I played the district attorney of Alabama and I had to do a Southern accent and that's something you can get your teeth into. But that sort of general American accent that, you, that, that was required for Jurassic Park, it's really, it's hard, harder than it looks. And you're always having to think about it. When, whenever I do an accent and I'm acting, 90% of me thinking about the accent. That's it. Do you get access to a voice coach? You, yeah, coach? you do. But then you end up sort of playing to them. The MO, the MO is like pleasing the accent coach. <laughs> well, listen, you can you can talk in uh, you know model zone voice today. Thank you um, very much. There are two subjects you always say you're going to get asked about. One is food and weight, and the other one is your dad. So let's mm. get through them. Let's um, do it. You've said that trying not to watch what you eat to keep your weight down, there's nothing yeah. sexy about that. I don't know, is dieting the opposite of sex? Something has to be. I imagine it's that. I imagine that watching what you eat are those things. And I've always had to watch what I eat because I was a I was a fat child and all the way up until my, through my sort of early 20s. And then I lost a great deal of weight, uh, which wasn't easy. Look, I love food. I love eating. I love restaurants. I love boozing and eating sort of, I don't know, ordering a bit of steamed fish and broccoli. It's just not sexy stuff. Oh, is it? You're speaking to the converted here. I, mean, I know. I'm you know. aware of your journey. I'm aware of your journey. <laughs> and I know that we have a few things in common, famous parents and losing and, and losing weight. So, they, so there you go. Well, listen, the, the, the starter provided by Lisa Goodwin-Allen, head chef of... Uh, uh, Northcote Manor is. I think we can we can mark this one up as just pure flavour. Which is uh, you have asparagus. Let me read the full title. It's char grilled Yorkshire asparagus with sheep's curd, sorrel, uh, pesto, and there's a, a sourdough crumb. Um, Indeed. How did your plating go? I think I think pretty pretty good. I, I love cooking and I like sort of. All right. So, so, when, nice, when, so. When, when this was proposed to you, it wasn't. Oh God, I've got to do this. This was. This is fun. Really fun, really fun. And I've always wanted to put micro herbs on something. It's the sort of thing you only see on MasterChef. Let's crack on. And you also, you have a bottle of uh, claret. Yeah, I, but I changed because I on, on on the email I said to you that I was going to drink a, a, a Rock to Calm, I think. And then I went down and put it up and I drank it all. So I've, um, it, but it is a, it is another claret. It's a Margot. It's a, a brand Centignac. A cheeky little Margot. Because uh, I've just sort of got into wine. So I moved to the country and there was a wine cellar. Um, it's a, a rectory and downstairs is a wine cellar. It was all racked out, so I thought I'd better fill it with wine. So are you now sort of doing proper research and trying to educate yourself on this stuff? Yeah, but it's so, I mean, is it is it deliberately ex exclusive wine? Is that, does it, does it try to make it difficult for you? Well, Do you know what I mean? There's an interesting conversation. There's a, a great restaurant in, uh, well, there are two now, called Noble Rot, and it grew out of a magazine called Noble Rot, which yeah, does a brilliant do job of demystifying wine. Yeah, quite right. But it's the fact that French wines never put the grape variety on the bottle, do they? That's what's so nuts. And then the fact that you've got the Appalachian and you've got the, you've got the, um, the Chateau, you've got the areas. You, I mean, it's really, it makes it difficult. And I've sort of gone some way out of my way to try and learn a bit about it. And, you know, I'm still stuck in the clarets, really. Well, I think, I think it's a good place to be. We share something, which is we are... You know, the children of people who were yeah. well, who are well known, where yeah. my case were. I cross-referenced two Wikipedia entries to, to discover one brilliant detail, which is you were born in 1983, exactly the same year your dad, Timothy Spall, 
really jumped into public consciousness through our Vida Zone Pet. I was born during the first series of our Vida Zone Pet. Yeah, indeed. The entirety of your childhood and growing up, he was already that thing. Yeah. People would often come up to him in, in restaurants. He was famous and uh, I've never known any any different. And now, I mean, I'm not as famous as my dad was because, you know, we forget that when our Vida Pet was on, there was only a few channels. I mean, 20 million people used to watch it. It was a big deal. And it was also, you know, one of the first dramas about working class people, working class men. He was very, he remains to be extremely loved and very popular. It was just always a thing that I've grown up with. And now, now I'm on telly and my kids are very uh, unimpressed. But there's one particular image that you've described of early acting lessons being sitting on the sofa while your dad shouted at the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't get into drama school. My dad went to RADA and, in fact, he had a thing called the Bancroft Gold Medal, which, which um, was awarded to the most promising actor at the end of the, of, of the year of, of RADA. It doesn't exist anymore. And that was, that was on the wall. He won. And so I thought that I would audition for RADA and obviously get in. And I did audition and didn't get in. And so I never ended up going to drama school. I went to the National Youth Theatre, which was really sort of tra transformational for me. But my sort of taste was born out of him shouting at Lovejoy. <laughs> was it? <laughs> Not specifically Lovejoy, but I was just thinking of a sort of 80s television show that might have irked him. <laughs> but what was it about acting? Or was it just that was the family business? That's what you did. Hang on a second. This dog is... Oh, there's annoying. a dog. Oh, excellent. Yeah, a dog who nearly ate my main course. I was resting my meat just now, which isn't a euphemism. And, uh, no, <laughs> you I was got that before me. I was literally resting my meat. And uh, the dog is a Labrador puppy was, was, was going for it. Anyway, why acting? It, yeah, it, it, it's a question I've asked myself a lot and uh, I've been asking myself in more detail recently. It's what my dad did. Uh, I, I always wanted to do it. I've always had a great passion for it. Was there a school production that you did or something where you went? Yeah, I was oh, in Bugsy like Malone. This. I was in Bugsy Malone. Uh, uh, I played Fat Sam, obviously. Of course. And a, a, one of the prettiest girls in the year called my house afterwards, called Tilly, and asked me to be her boyfriend. And I thought, well, this is for me because uh, because girls were never interested in me. And then I did I did that, and uh, I got a girlfriend out of it. So I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. I have to refer back to uh, to your dad for one last time. I promise yeah. I'll leave it there. Only because I think you'll like this, which is that there is a scene that he did which is regarded as totemic and has been referred to by almost all restaurant critics yeah. over the years. Yeah, I know the one you mean. You know the one I mean. It's in yeah. uh, Life is Sweet, the 1990 yeah. Mike Lee film. And I, I literally had to look up the menu because I've, I've referred to it in reviews. Uh, <laughs> King prawn in jam sauce, chilled brains. Prune quiche, that's one for our vegetarian friends. Black pudding and camembert soup, which actually doesn't sound too bad to me, if I'm totally honest. Savaloy on a bed of light cheese. And then the absolutely, uh, the, the, the most legendary of them all, which was pork cyst. Pork <laughs> cyst, yes. Yes. And can you remember the name of that restaurant? Oh, no, I can't. It was the, the Regret Rion. <laughs> That's it, I regret absolutely everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's uh, a great scene when he has the opening and no one turns up and he ends up crying in his pants. He does. He does. Yeah. I was. Did any of those scenes become part of the kitchen table conversation? No. Because obviously I know the way that Mike Lee works. I know that they're 
it's based on improvisation. I know they're all from my dad's brain. Yeah. Uh, the, the the sentence pork cyst could, could exist in very few people's mouths outside of Timothy Spall. It's very, it's very, very him. Um, how are you getting on with your starter? I've finished it. Uh, so it was, we we both worked out that it's going to take a five-minute break to slice the beef, warm the sauce. I've plated yeah. most of mine. Yeah. Um, so should we take a quick break to create the wonder of our main course? Yeah, I'll go and do it now. I'll be I'll back in a, in a sec. All right, mate. Hello, sir. Hello. The main course, as people like to know, by Lisa Goodwin-Allen, yeah. is uh, rosy beef, gremolata crust, beef fat chip, smoked garlic, and this sauce with turnips and capers and bacon in it mm. does look pretty fabulous. And the absolutely, yeah, how did you find the instructions? Very easy, very easy to follow. And uh, so this place is in Lancashire. Is it, it is not? in Lancashire. Am I right in thinking, yeah. and it's it's got it's a hotel and it's got a star. Is it one or two stars? It's got a star. Yeah, it's got a star. It's been there a very long time. It's been in a number of people's hands. And Lisa Goodwin Allen was the head chef under Nigel Howarth. They were one of the first entrants into the meal kit business, and I think they've done it better than almost anybody else. So listen, yeah. um, so you, you don't get into drama school, but you do do National Youth Theatre, which is a, yeah. a launch platform for enormous numbers of people, that names that people would recognise over the years. This is going to sound like a criticism, but it's not. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious whether over the years, because you didn't have those three years at Lambda or RADA or Central or all of that, yeah. whether in the early days there were times when you'd walk into a rehearsal room Yeah. Wondering if you were going to get found out. Yeah, I did my learning whilst getting paid and in public. Like I, I um, still now you feel so alone. I mentioned that I played the district attorney of Alabama, and I was on this film set with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Fox, and and in a courtroom, and I had to do this speech in a southern accent, and no one had heard me do it because I hadn't auditioned. I was sitting there for the first rehearsal. First time anyone heard me do it, 150 extras from the South were shooting in Atlanta. And I, could, and I looked down and my tie was visibly moving because my heart was going so much. And you really have to fight the urge to just leave. You're just going to go, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to go. And you feel so, you feel so alone. You go, fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to back myself. Go strong and wrong. Whatever it is, just go for it. You still do it now. Still, still now. Well, you get nerves or you... Being fired, the ignominy of being fired. Um, because have it's you been? so. I have. I got fired once from a radio play. Oh. It was a Jacobean play. I can't remember what it was. And I said, I can't speak verse. I've never taught, been taught. And they said, come along. You'll be absolutely fine. I get there. And the other actors are Rory Kinnear, a guy called Jonathan Slinger, and Bertie Carville, who are probably our three great classical actors. Yeah. I was playing the lead part, and Sophie Okonedo was in it too. We did the read through. I stumbled through it. And then afterwards, the director came and said, well, that didn't go well, did it? He said, what's the problem? I said, I fucking told you, I can't do this. <laughs> and he said, it's probably best you leave, isn't it? And I said, really? He said, yeah, I think it is. I said, but my bag's still in the other room with all the guys. I've got to go and get it. So then I had to walk in and sort of go, oh, I've, got, I've been fired. <laughs> I'm going to go. But you know what I did after that? I paid for, for 10 lessons of, of, of verse speaking, Shakespeare for myself with this acting teacher, even though I've never done it since. And, I've really got no interest in doing Shakespeare, but it was uh, it put hairs on my chest, Joe, yeah. Have you come across, you must have come across Rory Kinnear, Bertie Carvel since? Yeah, 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 I have. Were they supportive? No. <laughs> I, think, I think they relished it, as I probably would, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. I think Gore Vidal said about it. It's so that, or someone, someone clever said that there's nothing quite like the slight misfortune of besetting one of your friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of an evil thing to say, but... 
with acting. It's what you do when, you, when you're when you're an actor and you see a review, you scan it for your friend's name. You see what they say about it, and that's it. The one little detail. This just seems unfair. Which is, you're named Rafe after a part that your father mm. had played very famously. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Night of mm. the Burning Pestle, and then you did the same part. I took it on, Jay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He did this play called The Night of the Burning Pestle. My mum was in the audience in the Royal Shakespeare Company in the early 80s. And it was one of his biggest early successes. He got nominated for Olivier. And my mum fell in love with him six months later. They got married, then they had then they had me. They called me Rafe after the character. So then I got asked to do that play when I was 21, 22 at the Barbican. Uh, and I did it and it was a, a, it was a, a flop. In fact, the, the headline in The Guardian was a big picture of me with a sort of comedy arrow through my head. Uh, one star and the headline, a turkey for Christmas. You, need, you, you can't have things go your way too much early on, can you? It's not good for you. But the, the remarkable thing is, and now we need to say, you've done many, many brilliant, brilliant roles, which have been, you know, adored by lots of people. Um, you've had great associations with the likes of Edgar Wright and his uh, trilogies, which I love. Yeah. Just in the past year, you've done an astonishing one-man show at the National. Yeah. Yeah, that sent me half mad. Well, let's talk about that briefly because I, I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. leaping through the chronology. But Death of England yeah. is a one-man show which sort of managed to get on the stage during the pandemic. Just before was it? Just before, just or, before. or maybe they put it out? They streamed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of about white Englishness, written by yeah. a couple of a couple of black British writers and directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just watching your um, the funeral sequence. You have described it recently as acting with a capital A. Yeah, yeah, bloody was. Yeah, but it's immense. It How? wasn't. It, it well. Yeah. Did it? Go did on. it do your head in? Yeah, I didn't. I, and it's taken me a year since doing it to realise in, in in what way it did. Yeah. Well, tell me in what way was well, it? Well, it was. You know, it was. It, it was. It was a big deal for me. It, you know, it was one man show in National Theatre. I'd always grown up with sort of worshipping the National Theatre. And uh, it was an hour and 40 minutes long. It was 16,000 words. To put that in context, oh. the part of Hamlet is 6,000 words, right? So it's nearly three times. And I um, played five different characters and it was incredibly physical, emotional thing about grief, sort of the disenfranchisement of the white working class and modern day multiculturalism. It was a big success, which was great. Well, you were and, staggering in it. But what's interesting about that is that you spend your life pursuing success, great reviews, whatever it is. I got those reviews that start once in a generation and um, in 30 years of reviewing, right? The things yeah. that you sort of fantasise about. And uh, it, it made me feel no better. Um, it didn't answer any any questions. And you, you spend your life going, if I just get that recognition, if I just get that amount of money, if I just lose that amount of weight, that fantasy came came true. And uh, I got to the end of the rainbow and there wasn't gold, there was nothing, ashes. And so you realise that uh, it, it's it, it, you need a big recalibration. And it's still the thing I'm most proud of. It answered questions for me. It made, it made me go, this isn't everything, this acting game. Because you can get quite uh, myopic about it. Uh, and if you're ambitious, like I have been, you think the answers lie there, but it turns out they don't at all.
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You, as you've said, moved to the country. Mm. Um, When we were working out how to get the food to you, I went on Street View and basically I was on the bit of the map that says, here be dragons. Um, (laughs) Was was that a particular decision to do with your kids getting to a certain age or wanting to escape the pressure cooker of London, which for an actor can be quite intense? I just, to be honest, I just sort of went along with it. Um, uh, And now I've ended up in this strange corner of the Stroud Valleys. Actually, you you reviewed a restaurant near me, Nailsworth. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Wild garlic. Yeah. yeah, wild garlic. They've opened a sort of fancier one, a sort of tasting menu gaff called uh, Wilder, which we went to once, um, which was excellent. But the th- I think the thing with I don't restaurants in the country, you, you want places that you can go to weekly, and I don't really want to take on a tasting menu weekly. No, that is one of the problems. You see all over the Lake District, for example, it's full of multi-Michelin-starred restaurants and very short on somewhere you can just pop out for supper. But that's my thing with village... I've got, as I alluded to earlier, I've got a real fantasy about having a restaurant or a pub or whatever. And it's just... If I was to open a pub in the country, I'd do one thing really well. Just just, just do a great great burger. Just keep it simple. Um, And that that would be my, my blueprint if I were to open a pub in this sort of area. I'm not going to advise you to get into the hospitality business, Rafe, because despite everything you say, I do think the acting life is going rather well for you. Yeah, I suppose so. To be good at anything now, it's going to take a, take years. I've only just got good at this, which is probably why I'm uh, sick of it. I, mean, I, I said I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going back again. Yeah. Have you looked for approval from the the actor at you know back at the parental home? He's always been extremely supportive. You have worked together, haven't you? Well, on room room with a view. Yeah, in a, in a in a sort of ITV adaptation of a of a room with a view, which was nice. But I was a young man, you know. I was I was in my early twenties. But I've been I've been developing a show uh, with Sky, set in the world of, of, of top level boxing. Because I'm a huge boxing fan. Um, about boxing promotion for for my dad and I, because I'd love to do a proper thing with him. Coming up because it's just dropped, yeah. uh, which is trying for Apple TV. Um, yeah. Season one, I think, was. Last May. Uh, last May, and now season yeah. two is coming within a, a matter of weeks from where we are yes, now, isn't that right? indeed. Now, yeah. I have to admit, I've talked yeah. briefly about this, and I won't go into detail, I don't have to watch Trying because I lived it in exactitude. So IVF and adoption. So I've, I've been there. Um, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I wish everybody else who watches it absolute, you know, the best of times. Um, yeah. I probably won't because I, I saw the whole movie and, in fact, I took the starring role. Yeah. Um, but when you're preparing for something like that, can you yeah. just read the script and turn up? 
No, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a big researcher. Not because I'm lazy. If it, if it benefits, I do it. If it doesn't, then I don't. And and the the guy who wrote it, Andy Walton, was himself adopted. Right. Okay. So he was always there as a. He had skin in the uh, game. Yeah, had massive skin in the game, and um, uh, was always very helpful. And uh, to me, the mo on this show was was just uh, painting a picture of two very believable people. Um, and uh, I, I'm in it opposite a fantastic actress called Esther Smith. My sort of concentration on that was just trying to make it real, watchable, and lovely. What did you do to work on that relationship? Was there, did you get together before you started shooting? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, and um, it, it, you know the chemistry is either there or it isn't and you do one of those sort of dreaded chemistry tests not not with bunsen burners but as, as in you know well unless they, yeah. unless you really hate them but um. yeah exactly unless you really hate them uh it's what i mean about sort of getting control of acting is that you realize that what, what what's good acting is being alive being alive in the moment and so to engender that you need to um get yourself into a very relaxed creative space and that's what i always try and concentrate on so Everything on a film set tries to make you as tense as possible. So you've got a camera on you, you've got 200 people in a room doing their business, and then the first assistant director essentially says, right, everyone, shut up! Okay, go! <laughs> now do and something everyone, really close right, and Exactly, and then everyone looks at you. And then even the very word action makes you believe that you need to do something <laughs> action-packed, right? Um, so what I now do is, I've done for a few years is it's when they put the board on um, the slate and the, you know, everyone starts being quiet. I sing, I sing over the board. I love Prince, so I'll sing Prince to myself quite loudly just to break it up, just to sort of claim that space and be as as relaxed as possible. Because um, I think that's where good acting comes from, being relaxed. I have to say, um, if anybody wants another story about this, go back and listen to the Jason Isaacs episode of mm. Out to Lunch, where he tells a superb story about Richard Harris doing oh, wow, his really? head in by doing nothing for about two minutes after someone had called action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's fantastic, though. I get it. It's very easy to seize up. You get take tension. You really get take tension. And many actors will tell you that they do have to give in all their best performances off screen. Because you know when you shoot a scene, you'll put, point the cameras one way at one person, yeah. then turn them around and do the scene again and point them at you. You always feel so much more bloody relaxed when the cameras aren't pointing at you. So if you can get that same energy across when you're on screen, that's when that's when it's, I think, you know, pleasurable to be in and great to watch. So I have to ask you, therefore, about the Chatterley affair. Was that your was that your first, your only nude scene? No. I couldn't sleep one night and I counted my set scenes, Jay. I think I've done about 18 at last count. I've had my willy out a lot, too much, but I've stopped. I've stopped. I'm not doing it anymore. Okay. I've got I've got kids in the playbook, you know, of age where their friends sort of talk to them about it in the playground. It's not good. It's... It's wholly inelegant to get your willy out in, on telly. I mean, God, it's like it's a strange. And you do these, you know, it's like you'd be doing a sex scene. Like, this is how I pay my mortgage. This is this is how I. This is what I exchange for cash. A high point of the sex scenes in my life. My number one was probably with David Williams. He played Frankie Howard, and I played his lifelong lover Dennis. And David is um, uh, become a great friend. He's a really lovely, loyal person. Um, but part of his bit in life is yeah. being overtly flirtatious, right? That's part of it. That's part yes, of his. And shit, very fluid right? across the genders and everything. Right, very fluid across the genders, and sort of, 
you know, that's part of his thing. Um, but when it came to the sex scene, he was all scared. He was all free. Yeah, he bloody was. And because I'd done so many of them. And actually, I'd done, you know, the ones with David. I had to, um, what's the correct way of saying wank him off? I don't know. I had uh, to wank him do. off. That'll do. It's, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. This is after um, lunch and we use language like that. So you had to toss off David Williams beneath I had, to, I had to toss him off for cash. Um, and then I had to kiss him. And then we had to do all sorts of things and get in the bath together. And um, yeah. And when you do a sex scene with a woman, I'm always acutely aware that you're in a room with predominantly men. So my, so my, all of my concentration goes into trying to make it as comfortable as possible for her. With David Williams, it was just like, fucking come here, you big dickhead. <laughs> get, get over there, shut <laughs> Um Yeah, but uh, I think, I think I'm going to, I'm hanging up my, uh, I'm hanging those boots up. I think I've had enough of that sort of thing. Or to put another way, you're putting your pants back on. Exactly. Um, but to be fair, I don't get asked that much anymore, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never been asked. Um, now, listen, how's your main course? Are you are you through? It's finished, dispatched easily. I thought that sauce was absolutely fantastic. It was Deep, kind of beautiful sauce. one of those thick, glossy beef issues with little oh. cubes of turnip and capers and bacon and all the good mm. things. So dessert, and I have to say, they do these things. Have you got that with you, or is that over in uh, in the kitchen? No, it's in the kitchen. I'll just go and get it. All right, you go and get it, and then I can introduce it. All right, great. See you in a minute. Now, I have to say, um, Lisa Goodwin-Allen does amazing things when it comes to dessert. She's come up with a way of doing these individual ready-made items. Mm. Um, so this is called uh, Annabelle Strawberries and Cream. So the thing you found in your little box mm. is white chocolate, which has been dusted... I assume using some sort of air gun. So it's red, looks like a red rose um, mm. in a bowl of almond cream. Mm. And I believe when you cut in, I say I believe because nobody mm. can see what I'm doing while you're off. I did actually have a look inside. Uh. There's a liquid centre, there's a sort of vanilla cream centre and then in the middle there is uh, a strawberry com uh, compote. Jeez Louise. How's, how's your day going? <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, this is a, it's a, bit, bit, it's a, a definite highlight of my week. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for sending this over. What a, what a fabulous treat. I also watched BFG. Oh yeah. Partly because my neighbour is the BFG, Mark Rose. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's only about ten doors down. Oh, I see. Um, and I loved seeing his animated face. But what struck me about that, so you, you have a great role in the Buckingham Palace scene towards the end. Yeah. But that's yeah. a lot of whiz-bangery, green screen, mm. and all that sort of stuff, which you've also yeah. done in Jurassic Park. You did in Men in yeah. Black. That's a very different acting discipline to the stage, isn't it? Yeah, it's dreadful. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crap. <laughs> it's and if any casting directors are listening... <laughs> I'm available for hire. No, look, it's nice, all good fun. And actually, you know, the BFG was fantastic because it was Steven Spielberg. I mean, geez Louise. And there's a scene in that when I happened to be on a helicopter near the end and there was this massive crane shot that came through the window and onto a close-up on me and on this sort of big gimbal thing which moves about to make you look like you're in the air. And I looked out of the window of this helicopter thing and by the monitor of Steven Spielberg, looking like Steven Spielberg and I, I burst into tears because I was like this is exactly what you imagine being an actor, actor to be like when you're older it was a really moving moment and actually there wasn't you know obviously Mark was always on top of a very tall sort of ladder and you had to look up at him and with this sort of green morph is that how it was done he was there being was Mark yeah on the top of a ladder on, on a sort of um, a scaffold rig yeah he'd be right up there 
things like Jurassic Park. Just before I get eaten in Jurassic Park, I go underneath a car, a jeep, as a huge stampede of dinosaurs come running out towards me. Um, and then they, they trample over the jeep. Um, I'm underneath it and I come out and then I get eaten by the by the T-Rex. My legs get devoured by two raptors. But um, <laughs> I like to think of um, you're in two servings, really. A bit like <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and a moose bouche yeah. of it also. And uh, but um, just to shoot that sequence, three seconds of screen time underneath the jeep. That was nine days of night shoots. Nine days. Yeah, for a four four second moment. Yeah. Wasn't that extraordinarily tedious? Yeah, having to do this. Oh god! Oh bloody! Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, that was an acting uh, masterclass, I have to say. Thank you. That, that was, see, I told you, I've just got control of my craft, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, I finally figured out how to do acting. But look, it's all fun. It was all fun. It was all rather thrilling. And um, it's paid for the house that I'm sat in now. And, uh, I, you know, it was directed by J.A. Bayona, who's a fantastic Spanish horror film director. So you find something to love and everything that you do. But I have to say, I did... Jurassic Park, Men in Black, then War of the Worlds for the BBC. So I spent best part of two years pretending to be scared of a tennis ball on a stick. Um, and so then, then to then to um, you know do something like trying with a real person in front of me, somebody with uh, a pulse, yeah, someone with a pulse, and just doing the sort of stuff that I'd like to watch. You know, those films, those big films, they're fantastic, fantastic entertainment, and you know they're. I think Scorsese may have been right when he said they're like sort of theme park rides. Um, I've been in some of them, you know, they're great, but it's not how I like to pass my time, put it that way. Um, and uh, it's really nice now to have this show coming out that I'm, um, it's the sort of thing that I genuinely watch. Well, we have to talk about the, the next big thing that's coming up, which is when To Kill a Mockingbird comes into town. Yes. And you're going to be playing the lead. Yeah, Atticus, Jesus. That, I'm going to do that, Jay. Any um, ideas? I, Any I saw <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird in New York. Um, Did you see Jeff Daniels or Ed Harris? I saw Ed Harris do it. Yeah. And what's extraordinary about it is the thing yeah. you're led to believe is on stage you, you, you have to be a bit bigger yeah. for people to see it, but it's a very pared-back role. Yeah, it is. Um, and yet it's also... You know, almost the the crux. It's an amazing piece of writing as well in production. I wasn't sure how it was going to work on stage. I, I, did you see it in New York? No, I didn't. And I still can't quite figure out why I've been asked to do it. I think they might be expecting Ray Fiennes to turn up on the first day <laughs> rehearsal. Um, and whereas something like Death of England was very front-footed, it was a part and a play that I could bend to my will. This is something different. This is in service of a story. This is, you're not only playing a character, you're 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 sort of embodying a American decency, I suppose. Whilst at the same time, playing a flesh and blood human who's a small town country lawyer. Um, so I don't, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to go about it yet, but I've got, I've got some time, thankfully. And there are, I mean, there are ghosts on your shoulder because obviously Gregory Peck created a, a version of that role. Well, Gregory oh. Peck, and then, and then, on, and then on Broadway, the, the, you know the, the show that I'm going to open in London. It was um, it, it was Jeff Daniels did it first, and then Ed Harris, and now, to my mind, somewhat incongruously me. Um, but I suppose someone's got to do it. Rafe, this has been a theme for our entire lunch. I mean, if, if we were across a table properly, yeah. I would be filling your glass one more time and saying, "Are you seriously that suspicious of your own career?" You know what it is. 
you get to, you know, I'm maybe 40, not, not too long from now. And, um, you get to this stage, I think there's, it's just a matter of who's still left standing. If you're still going, then you, you know, the pool is smaller of people that you can be trusted with this sort of thing. I think definitely realistic that you got, you got to be realistic about uh, your standing, your position. For what it's worth, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you play Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird when it opens in, I think it's ne- next year, isn't it? 2022. Yeah, we start rehearsing. Start rehearsing in January goes up in, um, on the, my, the first preview will be my 39th birthday. Well, that's a, a perfect way to celebrate, isn't it? Before I wrap up, you did just say something. Do you think you ha- have ever turned up for a job and they thought they were getting Rafe Fines? No, no, but I think it's a matter of time. I think it's about, I just do, I do. I mean, there's only, there's only so many Rafes, even though he, he does not spell his name Rafe, does he? No, we all know he mispronounces his name. We've known that for years, but we're, he's so sort of from such a grand family that, uh, do you want to tell him? I'm not going to tell him. I think I did once. (laughs) I think I might have been 15 and said, hello, Ralph, I'm Rafe. Um, Maybe that was a dream or a fantasy, but I've got a vague memory of it. But um, You think you did? I don't know. I think so. I don't know. I think I was a bit drunk. And I, and I, I, well, I, both was, your, it, your dad and he would have been on the set of one of the Harry Potter films at the same yeah, time. Yeah, they would they? have indeed. They would have indeed. But he's a good turn, isn't he, Rafe? He's, he's terrific. But, there's, but there's, not, there's not many Rafes out there. People really struggle with my name. Really. Like, really. People will go, they'll sort of bottle it and say, excuse me, it's just phonetic. It's, it's, it's like, do you know what's done me up is cafe. So people call me Rafe. Well, all that remains for me is to say, Rafe Spall, thank you for staying in for lunch with me. It has been a delight. It really has. And uh, I think the next time we have to sit across a restaurant table, don't you? I think it's uh, it's only right. And I, I can't wait. And really, uh, to the uh, to the to the good people at the Northcote, is that what yeah, they're Northcote called? Manor. Yeah, Northcote Manor. Northcote Manor. That was really a first-rate lunch. Well, doing nude scenes and being eaten by dinosaurs sounds like far too much hard work to me. I think I'll just stick to my day job. Um, Thank you to Ray for being such a good sport, and I cannot wait to see him in To Kill a Mockingbird. He will be magnificent. Thanks, of course, to the amazing chef Lisa Goodwin-Allen and the whole team at Northcote Manor Lancashire for their wonderful food boxes. You can find them at northcote.com. And if you want to thank us, please do rate, comment, and tell your friends about Out to Lunch. You can follow us wherever you get your podcasts to receive freshly plated episodes the moment they're on the pass. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The recording and mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Jemima Rathbone was assistant producer. The producer is Selena Ream and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's one of the most successful Irish novelists of all time. It's Marianne Keyes. He ordered it and like literally layer upon layer of management came out to warn him not to have it and I could hear this crunching noise and it just oh it turned out to be not the the coxcomb it turned out to be Monge too but like you know I was in the horrors from the whole thing. Mm-hmm.